Hello, and welcome to Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people who teach it. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Stoltz, and on this week's episode, we talk with the Washington Library fellow, Alicia Vargas, about her uh, research topic exploring Spanish-American relations during George Washington's presidency. Uh, but first, a friendly reminder, uh, there are still single tickets available to the Michelle Smith's Lecture Series. Uh, the next talk at the library is on May 8th, and it will feature author John Kukla discussing Patrick Henry, Champion of Liberty. Uh, we also have, uh, if you do not follow us yet on social media, we'd appreciate it if you do so. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GWBooks, and on Facebook at The Washington Library. Okay, so I am with uh, Lisa Vargas, uh, one of our fellows here at the library that is just finishing up her fellowship. Uh, how's your fellowship been going? Oh, it's been great. I have been able to read a lot of letters that I didn't know existed and uh, to know a little bit more about President Washington and the way he handled diplomatic relations with other people like Ambassador Galoki, which is my topic. Okay. Yeah, could could you, uh, you know, just for our listeners, could you could you tell us a little bit about what your topic is and what you're here to research? Well, the idea is that um, we want to try to find out more about the relations between the United States uh, early in the Republic and Spain. And for that, I've been exploring two very interesting people. One, which is Diego de Gardoqui, the Spanish ambassador, and uh, obviously President Washington. And in this diplomatic inter, uh, relationship that they have, Gardoqui was changes from being uh, the owner of a commercial house that, that uh, has commerce with the United States, becomes uh, one of the aides in the Revolutionary War, and then becomes the ambassador. So it's, it's a person who changes a lot. And in that course, also, I've seen that President Washington changes, too, from a general for then somebody who's retired in Mount Vernon and then becomes the first president of the United States. So that's going to be really interesting. And you can see all these changes in the, in the letters that you guys have here in the library, which is amazing. Yeah. Now, how did you come about this project? Well, one of the things that uh, we were talking before is that usually the, the relevance of France in the independence wars have been completely highlighted in the history of the United States. And I guess the role of Spain has been neglected. Not that the Spanish were interested in helping directly the United States uh, to gain their independence from the British, but they did have a role uh, to fight against a common enemy. And interesting things is that uh, this relationship, this codfish relationship between the northern part of Spain and the eastern states of the United States is going to evolve and become something that... um, is going to strengthen the diplomatic ties between the two countries and, and make them allies in a moment. Yeah, now let me let me ask you about that, because I'm going to go ahead and, and guess that a lot of our listeners are not aware of the importance of codfish <laughs> in American international relations. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? And in Spain, it's really funny to see how uh, cod and salt had a lot to do with, with bilateral relations in, in, in Europe and, and, and North America. And in this case, it was a big deal because once the colonies wanted to get their independence, Spain, especially the northern part of Spain, who were traders and merchants, decided to become one of their commercial allies in this in this um, trade with Europe. 
And that's why Gardoki ended up being very good friends with, with the Cabot brothers and the Lees and people who eventually would become one of the patriots who, who uh, were fighting against the British. Yeah, I think it's I think it's funny uh, for for those of our listeners that don't know. Actually, my next book project is going to be about uh, the Franco-American relations. But I'm from New Orleans, right? So I you know I, I have to study the French <laughs> yes. in some aspect. But you know, as we were we were discussing a little while ago, uh, it's funny because you know the Spanish were actually in New Orleans longer than the French were. Yes. But, um, but I, I think what's what's one, one of the interesting things I've found is uh, the extent to which. Uh, the, the French foreign ministry is sort of helping the Americans along through figuring out how do you end a war and how do you, you know, it's great that you guys have been railing about independence, right? But what does independence actually look like? And uh, what, what, what territorial gains do you actually need to have in uh, your peace treaty? And that was one of the things that even surprised me is the big fight that breaks out in the U.S. Congress over... Uh, the fishing rights, uh, you know, in Newfoundland, and and how you know, southern states are like, well, why why would we care about that? But for the New England states, that's a, that's a huge deal. It's a huge portion of their food, and if they don't have the the right to go in there, uh, and similarly with the French, it's like the one thing that the French want in uh, the Treaty of Paris is to continue to have the fishing rights, yes, uh, for the cod fisheries because that's also where they train their sailors throughout the course of the war, and I think there's a whole book to be written on the the neglected history of fish in the American Revolution uh, and international relations, because I don't think we normally think of fish as that important. No, and in the case of Gardoki, one can see how the, the, his business starts at the beginning of his career, when he was 30-something years old, and by the time that he's 59 years old, they have earned more than 500 times the, the investment, so it was quite the business. And and you're right. That's exactly what happens afterwards. It's it's Massachusetts against Virginia. Uh, obviously, the southern and the western states were fighting for the rights of the Mississippi River, and we're going to have at least ten years of of, of, of conversations and diplomatic uh, issues coming along with Jay and Gardoki. He goes back to Spain, and then eventually. I think the southern states win. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they they keep all the territory, and 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 they and the, and that that's going to be eventually signed off in, in 1895. But yes. Yeah. No. I guess before we, uh, I guess before we finish the war, though, we should probably fight our way through it. <laughs> uh, so what? Because uh, you know, I don't I don't think many people. So you know, you, you guys like Lafayette get get so much of the the glory, and and you know, most Americans have heard of Rochambeau. Because the, the the French, you know, sent a mm. four thousand person expeditionary force. What is Spain doing militarily throughout the war once well, they enter? There is there is one of these uh, people that um, that is Miralles. He's a guy who's going to be recognized in New Jersey uh, militarily. I mean, he he was one of the guys that fought with General Washington, and he helped. Especially one of the things that I was reading that's interesting. He he brought blankets in the middle of the winter. Many. And they were for free. I mean, he actually fought with the Spanish court uh, to make these accessible quickly and and free, without any cost. And um, and shoes and clothing. So he was the kind of guy who not only got involved, but he was very into helping the troops. And I think it's one of the nicest things that happened. I think it was in Trenton, New Jersey, where where he is still recognized as one of these Spanish heroes. 
he was from Cuba, obviously back then uh, Spain was. And he was one of the people that had also businesses with the Americans uh, because he, he, he was he, he traded slaves. I mean, he was high in doing that, but he was also considered to be a person who actually helped a lot. And the other thing would be also with one of our, our leads from, from Massachusetts. He was one of be, he's going to be one of the people who will try to get money and clothing and munitions and stuff from Spain uh, when he goes in 1777 together with a delegation that go to Paris. Well, some arrangement, uh, whatever they need with the, with the French, uh, Lee goes ahead, and because he knew Garloki, he just goes to Madrid, and everybody was like, no, we have to stop this guy, he's going to get there. So they, they stop in at Burgos, um, Gardoki, and, and by then Grimaldi, which was the Minister of Foreign Affairs, and they and they, they sit with him and said, okay, we're going to help you, but you cannot do these things, that's so evident, because we're going to get in trouble with the British. Mm-hmm. And that's when they settle a, 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 some kind of an agreement where they're going to help. And then comes COD again, which is amazing. So they couldn't let the British see the weapons uh, in, in Spanish boats because that would be... So what they used sometimes was to hide arms and weapons and stuff inside the codfish. And that's, that, that was kind of an interesting smuggling thing <laughs> that they did. But it was interesting and that those are the things that I've been finding out here. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I mean, again, this whole history of fish in the American Revolution. That no, one, no one steal our book idea. No. Uh, we, probably, we probably shouldn't have been saying so much about it on, I know. on a podcast now that I think about this. <laughs> um, well, who else? Who, who, are other, who are other Spanish uh, uh, participants of the revolution that more Americans should be aware of? Well, I think that, um, well, we have a problem there, and it's uh, the people in, in East and West Florida what you were saying, uh, were considered Spaniards. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they fought with Mr. Bernardo de Galvez, which was one of the people who really helped in another way to the American Revolution. Not, with, not only with money, but basically getting rid of the, of the other front that the British had down in, in, in West Florida. And that's a story that everybody, I think, knows about Pensacola and how he took that garrison and he got rid of the British in the, in the southern part and he freed New Orleans, which was a big deal. You are from New Orleans, you know. So it was one of the most important cities in, in the United States. And uh, I, I, I can recall the descriptions that they had. They had everything, public, uh, uh, an amazing public system, lights. For the time, it was quite amazing. Mm-hmm. And he was not only the governor of Louisiana, he married into uh, a woman who was from New Orleans. And they had a kid, and right now the, the descendants of Mr. Galvez comes from, from New Orleans blood, which is interesting. Yeah. Now, um, you know, of course, New Orleans and the Mississippi River uh, will continue to be an important issue throughout Spanish-American relations, yeah. you know, after the war. Because um, I think, you know, I... Th- I th- I, th- I think uh, a lot of people sort of forget that, you know, we're, we're always used to sort of remembering that, you know, Britain continues to hold on to Canada after after the American Revolution, but that, you know, Spain is our other neighbor yes. for, for the, you know, the entire early period of this country's history. Um, so how does that hmm. uh, play out? Spain is a complicated neighbor because they have the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the reasons why Florida was so important was basically to protect the Gulf of Mexico. 
and they didn't want anybody else to get into trade with with the Caribbean. And uh, well, after the treaty with with uh, the British, they had already gained regained again Honduras. They had Nicaragua. All the coast was again Spanish. So that was going to be, I think, the main reason why the United States and Spain end up um, with, at the end, having very tough relationships because both of them want to have access to the Caribbean, to the Gulf of Mexico. And, and there's another issue, too. Spanish Florida was very liberal in letting people from the United States to settle there. They gave them free lands. Uh, Slaves ran away from homes in, in the states, and, and, and they were, they reached Spanish Florida, and they had, I wouldn't say freedom, but they their rights were recognized in a in a better way. They could have land, they could remain with their children. They were not going to be. One of the most important examples is uh, a little fort that's uh, Santa Teresa de Mose, which is a beautiful story, and it's been studied thoroughly. It was a completely different place for an African-American if he went there. Eventually, when the Spanish leave, most of these people prefer to leave to, to Cuba than to stay in the United States, which is very uh, interesting. And they become Cubans or Spaniards. Um, and the third part, which is going to be very important, and it's something that I will definitely work on later on is General Wilkinson. <laughs> the appearance of this man and the and the threat that he poses both to the Union and to the Spanish uh, that are living in, in Florida. He was he was some kind of a person who arrives and changes the whole thing. Yeah, it's uh, uh, you, you, you all probably just heard me sort of laugh when she said the name. It's funny if you go to a history conference uh, <laughs> for anyone that studies you know the old Southwest. That is, you know, the the you know, Louisiana, Texas, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, the old Southwest for the United States. And it, the second the name James Wilkinson comes up, everyone sort of chuckles because you know yes. there's going to be a really good, really nefarious <laughs> story uh, that's going to come out of it. Uh, you know, a guy that when he is commanding general of the United States Army is also on the payroll for the Spanish government, which is uh, impressive. Oh, he wanted he wanted to be in the payroll of everyone. He was yeah. in the British payroll, and he was yeah. yeah he liked money. money. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he, you know also implicated with uh, yeah. did maybe sort of talk to a young Andrew Jackson about do you carve off a portion of the United States and just do your own yes. thing, which is always so fun when then you know Jackson comes down to New Orleans later and is you know, railing about, well, I'm not sure if I can trust these these French and these Spanish Creoles. And you're like, really? You're, I don't know that you should be throwing that around. Uh, but enough about the seventh president. Let's talk about the first president. Uh, how does all this play out for George Washington's presidency? Oh, he was in, in so much trouble because I do believe, and after being here for a while, that they had a cordial relationship. I, I think it was... It was... I think that General Washington in a moment, especially in 1788, was was between a wall and and a sword, as we would say in Spanish, because he didn't know what to do with Gardoki. He honestly was his friend, but the situation with Virginia and the Mississippi uh, navigation rights was so complex that he just decided not to, to write to him again. So there is this story about um, a donkey. <laughs> it, 
it's a Spanish jackass that was donated uh, to Mount Vernon, and and he he came here, and it's the the story about letters and coming back and forth, and. It, the funny thing is that for a jackass to come to the United States, uh, His Majesty the King had to give a special permit for the, the jackass to travel, and then they put him in a ship. They, actually, they sent two. One died. The other one survived. The, the, the donkey arrives. Mm -hmm. And then this whole correspondence between Gardoki and Washington about the donkey starts, and it, it lasts for seven years. So... It comes, and they don't know what to do with him, how to... They need a wife for the guy, and that's when it's really interesting, because that's when the mess with the Mississippi is starting to get complicated. When the, when the Shias, as, as General Washington says and Gardoki says, is about to come, that's when Gardoki says, what are we going to do with Virginia? You guys are really doing something very messy with our Mississippi uh, trade. And that's when he says, you know what? I don't want you to give me your shias. <laughs> I'll find it with the French. <laughs> and that's when you see that the whole relationship is really not working very well. So Gardoki starts, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with this guy? So he sends a copy of Don Quixote a year later. So I, I need to reestablish relationships with, with General Washington because I know he's behind the whole scenery. He's, he's, he's talking with everyone in, in Congress. And that's what happens. So eventually he sends a copy of, of Don Quixote. Thank you very much, but I have nothing to do with the Mississippi question. And you see the letters that General Washington is having with James Madison and with John Jay. And he's obviously on top of the whole negotiation, but he really doesn't know what to do. And eventually, when Gardoki says, well, I have to leave. You guys don't want to have any relations, uh, relations with Spain. I'm leaving. And that's when Washington says, I'm not sure if it's a good idea to let this guy go, because after all, he's been... And then he leaves, and mm -hmm. that's what happens. So it's really interesting and, and funny, in a way, to see how these things were managed. Um, then afterwards, the, the position of the Spanish monarchy is going to be a completely different one, because by 1788, one month before or two months before President Washington becomes president, elected, uh, the... Spanish king dies, and his son, which I think is going to be, I shouldn't say this, but I should say it, <laughs> is probably one of the worst kings that we've had. <laughs> so that's when they lose everything. I mean, not only their colonies in America, but they eventually cede the whole of Florida to the United States. And I told you before, it's a very sad story to see all of these families who have been living there for hundreds of years having to leave everything behind and go back to Cuba or to Mexico or to wherever they can. I believe what I've read is that only six to seven families remained in Spanish territory. The rest left. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a humbling story. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, well, what uh, what when you've been you know going through the archives here and 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 the manuscript material? What have you been most excited to find? <laughs> the notes, the notes. <laughs> <laughs> on the president's diary. It's 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 finding his his persona. How he's. I have to go back to Spain and do the other part. Mm -hmm. But I think that uh, I have met a very a beautiful person. Washington was an actual very intelligent, very beautiful, and he was surrounded. When 
when Mr. Jefferson becomes the Minister of State, or the Secretary of State, sorry, it's complicated. The, 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 the relationship between President Washington and his Secretary of State is, especially with the topic of Spain, you can see that Jefferson really wants to get rid of the Spaniards, and Washington tries to, to take it, <laughs> calm yeah. down, take it. And in his notes and his letters with him, he's always um, trying to, to put it down a little bit. Yeah, it's funny. That's one of the big um, debates you'll see in American historiography over the the Jefferson and then the Madison administrations. Over, you know, is there? You know, some historians have confused, you know, accused them of sort of always having this nefarious plot to keep pushing the borders of mm. the United States further west. And then other ones will say, well, no, no, you're ju- you're reading too much into it, and you don't have documents that can, you know, prove that. Uh, but of course, you know, if these if these meetings are just occurring. Or on a table side, you know, know that you, you don't generally, if you're going to do something nefarious and illegal, you, you're generally not supposed to write it down, right? No. <laughs> uh, but it is, you know, I, I've definitely always been in the camp of like, no, Jefferson knows exactly what he's doing and, and wants to push it, whereas Washington is, you know, far more restrained with, uh, I think, how he wants to handle if there's going to be, if there is going to be any expansion of the United States, mm-hmm. it needs to be, you know, that's sort of the Federalist policy, right? Yes. It needs to be a slow, controlled process, which is, uh, you know, as you've already discussed before, is is what gives Washington so many struggles with how to handle the Western question, right? Because it it feeds into uh, you know even domestic political mm. issues like how do I handle the Whiskey Rebellion, right? And it's it's not a coincidence that the Whiskey Rebels all know if they really want to push the federal government's buttons to start discussing like, well, you know, if 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 you're gonna uh, give us really bad tax deals. Maybe maybe we'll go see if we can get a better deal from the Spanish. From Spanish. And they, they always know that that's a card that they can play. Uh, sort of play. Um, and I've always been fascinated by, um, you know, later you know, during the, the Jefferson and Madison administrations, uh, once the United States gets possession of New Orleans, uh, how much, you know, we always think of the Mississippi River as the big, hmm. the big issue. But once the United States has New Orleans... Uh, it's amazing to see how quickly that game just becomes, whether it's uh, the Apalachicola River, yes. whether it's Lake Pontchartrain, whether it's um, Mobile Bay. You know, they, they, they just have these ways of sort of nitpicking at each other, uh, you know, in almost sort of a Cold War setting, right, where they're always sort of, they're willing to always push each other just to the brink of war because they always know just how much, <laughs> yes. you know, Spain knows exactly what buttons to press to affect policy in the United States. And and the United States, you know, especially the governors on the ground in Louisiana, started to become increasingly um, proficient at pushing Spain's buttons just enough to always uh, cause trouble. So I think that's a relationship. I mean, that's what I love with your project is I think this is a relationship that um, could use so much more examination because it, it, it always sort of gets forgotten, I think, especially um, during the Washington presidency. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, which is, you know, we're here at Mount Vernon. is We especially don't like when... Things about George Washington have been <laughs> forgotten, which is funny because you think, you know, this is George Washington, right? Like, we must know everything about everything he did, and that's that's just simply, I mean, I think well, we find impossible. that on a daily basis, just yes. simply not the no, case. And um, I would add to that, to, to what you just said, it's uh, George Washington was, from from what I've been reading, had the head of the president. He was trying to con- to, to make the North and the South be friends, be a union, and that's something that I'm not getting from Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I agree with you. I mean, so one take thing that is, Monticello. yes, of course. 
he was very he was brilliant and he knew exactly how to push the mm -hmm. buttons to Spain but I think that that Washington really had the idea of a head of a state and he was trying to build on uh, the Union very well done yeah and it's, you know it's funny because in the same time period you know we have letters from Washington writing to to other folks um, you know, he just seems tired of war and he seems mm -hmm. tired of conflict and he realizes yes, he how close the United States was to dissolve, you know, if, if anyone was going to understand how close the United States was to dissolving during yes. the American War of Independence, it would be him. Uh, whereas, you know, you get sort of younger, enthusiastic types, maybe a little fiery, uh, uh, ideological types like Jefferson that just want to keep pushing and... Yes, and it was the rights of, of the South, of Virginia. I mean, he was, after all, the owner of Monticello. He needed to have access to the Mississippi. I do understand why it's so important for these people. I mean, it was the only way to take their grain out. And the duties that were, that, that were they, they, during the war, one of the things that Spain did was to get them free access mm -hmm. to the Mississippi River. So once you've tried that, and you don't have to pay any duties, yeah. and you have ports, and you can take off your stuff down, you're going to have... Good. You're going to have all the, the stuff delivered out, and, and you're going to have all the, of the ports in the Caribbean. Can you imagine that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> after the war ends, the Spaniards say, well, that was it. No more. We're going, to, going back to what we had before. With the, the, the problem that now they had also uh, won over um, western Florida. So now the two shores of the Mississippi River were under Spanish control. So that, that had to be complicated for all the people who had their stuff in the South and who were trying to help the expansion towards the West, which is something that we also know. One of the big problems that they were having was the amount of people that were running and the settlers that were going to the West, they needed to have some more land. Mm -hmm. And the Spaniards posed a problem. And there's another thing that I haven't studied that much in, my, in, in this research, but it's amazing, and I've heard, uh, read some... The relationship that the Spaniards had with the with the Indian populations around, which was also really interesting, and it was some kind of association between them both against the American settlers. So that's another point that's going to complicate the 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 the, the American advocacy for 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 more land. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we have the advantage of knowing how everything's going to play out, but. You know, I just I think back to uh, you know, 1777 when there's there's letters going back and forth between Madrid and Paris, and you know France is is telling Spain like, no, come on, let's get let's get in the war. We <laughs> yes. can humble the British. You know, this is going to be great. And Spain is writing back, going, well, that's easy for you to say. You you don't have colonies no. to lose. And you know, if if we if if we're seen participating in uh, some sort of Republican overthrow of a monarchy that you know could be problematic for us, uh, if we give the Americans taste of things of what they could possibly expect, uh, you know, like the Trail of the Mississippi River, uh, we're not so sure about that. And yeah. so you know, Spain's of course very hesitant, and, and France is like, oh, let's go it, let's let's attack the British. Did they make the right decision? I think they did. And Spain and the British have always had been fighting for the last 50 years, I think, that since the Jenkins Ear War, which is probably the worst name for a war that they have. But that was, 
it was over and over again and it was always commercial rights. So it was obvious that this was going to happen and the American Revolutionary War was going to be another one of the settings that the that the Spaniards and the British were going to fight. It wasn't within the Atlantic. So I think that the, the what happened what what, uh, what I, I see was bad was what happens after 1788 when they back off the mm-hmm. plan, the original plan, and they leave everything that they had done abandoned. And in less than 10 years, they sign a treaty giving away everything and losing most of the stuff that they had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we even had a French king for a while. <laughs> so <laughs> it was complicated. They signed everything off, and it's it's actually... The saddest uh, part of history. And uh, so the Floridas was part of that whole loss. Hmm. Uh, well, as we we're sort of getting to the end here, you know, so uh, I know you said you're you're going to go back to Spain yes. and do some research there. So what uh, what else is next for well, you? Well, I, I need to, to find all the dirty details mm. from the Spanish side. <laughs> I'm trying to find both of the, the whole idea of, of what was going on behind the, the heads of these people. And... Um, one of the reasons why I love this period of time is that until 1788, I think that the most brilliant minds in Spain were there, mm-hmm. were working. They were true public uh, civil servants, people who were interested in, 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 in making Spain better. So that's that's really nice to, to read from these people. And that's why I probably chose the, the topic, because I'm... I'm, I'm I also studied American since I was a kid. I love this country. I love Washington. And then I want to choose the best part of Spain and see what's going on between those two very best parts and how they they relate in 15 years. So we'll see what, what's going to happen. I'm pretty sure that many interesting things, and we're going to find more about codfish for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that is a great way to end with the, the future of hope. Uh, uh, meritocracy and codfish. <laughs> and codfish, exactly. Well, thank you so much for, mm, for joining you us. Show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.